the Diamondbacks pick up a huge series win against the Cincinnati Reds, taking three of four at Chase Field to not only take over the final wildcard spot in National League, but to put themselves with some serious distance ahead of their competitors, now standing a game and a half ahead of both the Reds and the Miami Marlins. Hello there, everyone. I'm Mike McDermott, a tribute writer and part of the beat for Fan Nations Inside the Diamondbacks. And joined here today by Wes Beyer, everyone's favorite co-host. So uh, what are you if doing you, today, if Wes? You, if you say so, I am great. You know that. I, we're back in the postseason, baby. So i uh, got to be happy about that. Uh, put the Reds in the mirror. Now we got to face the Dodgers. So pedal to the metal. So for, the, for today's episode, we're going to talk about the series against the Reds, and then we're going to preview the next six games. Dodgers and Orioles, a tough challenge for the Diamondbacks as the calendar rolls from August to September. Then we'll talk about the manager of the year race and if Tori Lovello should be considered at least a finalist for it. And then another rookie of the year update. Now that we've had our Corbin Carroll versus Matt McLean matchup, we'll talk about whether or not Corbin Carroll has basically ended the award race over the weekend. And we're going to be discussing that all that on today's episode of Snakes on the Diamond. So if you are watching here on YouTube, make sure to click that subscribe button, leave a like, and comment down below how optimistic you are about the Diamondbacks' chances of getting into the postseason. So we're going to begin with the Red Series. Game one, the Diamondbacks got a big home run from Corbin Carroll after the bullpen could not hold a one-nothing lead that was given to Merrill Kelly. Kelly was dominant for seven innings, but then a cramp cramp did more to take him out of the game than the Cincinnati Reds lineup. In game two, Brandon Fott was very solid, ran a little bit of turbulence in the sixth inning, but finished with two runs in five and two-thirds innings. The Diamondbacks exploded late offensively and withstood a late Reds rally to win 10-8. In game three, the bullpen was not able to hold a 4-0 lead on Corbin Carroll's bobblehead night. And... Eventually ended up losing on a balk in the 11th inning, 8-7. to But in the series finale, we finish off the Reds with a three-run eighth inning. Thanks to some, thanks to a Lourdes Gurriel home run and some very bad pitching that the D-backs took advantage of four walks in the bottom of the eighth inning to score three runs. So, Wes, what did you think of the series so far? Do you think it's a case of the Diamondbacks showing exactly what they need to do to get into the postseason. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, first, the thing that comes to mind is that that Bach, uh, a walk-off Bach is the most embarrassing way to lose. But other than that, that was a you know, great series. They, they could have easily swept them if it weren't for that. Um, I mean, we saw great pitching. If you look at the starting pitchers, uh, they all went deep into games. Um the offense was just enough. Like you said, they took advantage of a wild bullpen uh, on Sunday, which is like, you know, you, you need to see him do that. Uh, Carroll nearly had an inside to the park home run. If not for that, uh, Ellie De La Cruz, uh, like nearly hundred mile per hour throw from the outfield, which is just, that's what it would have taken for him to, to be thrown out. So like that, that actually was very impressive on their part. But it, I mean, it really shows the difference between the Reds, and the Diamondbacks in terms of like where they were at developmentally. I think that the 
the Diamondbacks are a little closer to contention than the the Reds. The Reds actually, I mean, I think they'll be a real threat to the rest of the the NL Central next year. But uh, it looks like they're pretty much uh, they're out of the race, short of a collapse of the Diamondbacks and you know the other teams. Um, I mean, really, I mean, other than uh, just the that box, are really actually a pretty satisfying series. I mean, they did everything that we. Uh, you know, said that they needed to do. So, I mean, once again, we're sitting here talking about, you know, they had a great series. They did, you know, exactly what we said they needed to do. And what we see in this series is uh emergence of two rookie pitchers continuing to do what they've done best. You see Brandon Fott and Slade Sacconi continuing to give the team some very solid starts, give them chances to win. So here's Tori Lovello talking about that. I asked him this question. Very. I think they're both they're both up and coming um, pitchers for us, and they're understudies right now for for Zach and Merrill, um, and they are applying all their concepts and helping us win baseball games. To me, that's the reason why we are where we are. You agree with Tori that the reason that they've been doing so well has been the quality pitching from both Sacconi and Fott. Oh well, I mean, I mean. I didn't even mention that, but like uh, Chacone's start was, you know, the kind of like what I like seeing out of him, you know, coming out of the minors with it, you know, not, not overwhelming strikeout stuff, but still five strikeouts, no walks. Um, I don't know if they're learning much from, from Merrill Kelly or Zach Gallen. I, I don't know enough about the dynamics between uh, the younger pitchers and them, but uh, I, I would hope that they influence them. But yeah, I, I would contribute like, a large part of their success is a young pitching fought. Like we've been talking about him for weeks. He's really stepped up. He's been that, you know, the the third starter that they need to rely on. If they have a fourth now with Jacone, then like they're really uh they're in a good position going forward into the postseason. Because I, I mean you have less worries, you know, with the about the fifth starter. If you have those four you can count on them, then like really like I, I feel much more confident in the Diamondbacks chances. What about you? Yeah, and then also I thought Zach Davies pitched probably his best game in two mo- two months on Saturday. Pitch count kind of caught up to him at the end, but I liked what I saw. He was throwing elevated fast. He was throwing four seamers up. He was mixing in some cutters, both up and down. Obviously, the changeup was a huge pitch, and the Reds are showing a vulnerability to that pitch in the series. So it's not surprising that Davies kind of picked up where Merrill Kelly left off from the series opener and should since the changeup is his best pitch in his arsenal, but he also landed some curveball strikes and it looked more like Davies was pitching as opposed to when he gets in trouble. Sometimes yeah, it looks like yeah. he kind of locks in on one quadrant of the strike zone with two pitches where he just goes sinker changeup and just tries to pepper hitters away, which to me is not pitching. That's basically throw. That's basically a pitching machine, not necessarily actual pitching. Yeah. You were you were at that game, weren't you? Yeah, Saturday? I was watching. I was watching from the left field bleachers for the Davies start. Okay. Yeah, not a, not a bad start from Davies at all. Um, you know, like I've I've written off Zach Davies and like before before the start of the season. Uh, but yeah, I mean, really, the only the only real mistake was the home run he gave up. I mean, he just gave up a run, uh, five hits, and uh, you know, a couple walks. That that's a great that's a great outing for Zach Davies. I mean, they can rely on him down the stretch. That's, that's really, that's really helpful. Uh, 
do, do you put him on your postseason roster? Is he in your rotation? I think I would have him as the game four starter because in a game four situation, it's all hands on deck. Yeah. But if you're talking wild card series, I don't think I, if you're talking a wild card series, I think game three is all hands on. If we're talking about, if we're worried about who's starting game three, that means they are playing game three. And to me, if they're in a game yeah. three, I'm feeling good about this team. Oh yeah. I in that, in that context. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I, it would be, it would make almost, I mean, having, you know, Chaconi or Bot or, uh, you know, if you split the game between the three of them, of, of Davies, Bot, Chaconi, like that's, that's, a, I feel pretty confident about that. If they can just, you know, bump their stuff up just a little bit, you know, a little more effort. Yeah, I'm real confident they're making it to a game three. You obviously got Gallon game one and Kelly's your game two starter. And you'll, you'll roll your chances with that. And then game three, obviously, all hands on deck since Dimex are going to be playing in the wild card round, unless yeah, something cr- barring some really crazy shenanigans going on in Los Angeles tonight. But the main concern for me, obviously, beyond uh, three through five starters, but is also kind of the offense has been struggling a little bit against starting pitchers against the Reds. Yeah. They actually scored in the eighth inning in all three of their wins. Believe it or not, so we'll pull that up from Tori again. I think they're both they're both up and coming um, pitchers for us, and they're under studies right now. I think it's just engagement at the right time, um, and we probably are assessing what's going on, and we we get a, we get a, a targeted reaction to something like somebody gets on, um, somebody has a big base hit, a long at bat, walks. Um, and it just gives us energy. So in the context of the question, it, in general, that was the Guriel home run. That kind of was the uh, game-changing moment in game one. It was the Carroll home run in the eighth inning. Yeah. And I think it kind of definitely seems like the team starts a little bit flat and then something happens and they pick it up from there. Yeah, that seems to be the habit that they've they've kind of fallen into. There's a, a recurring theme of them. If they do not get off, you know, a hot start to the beginning of the game, they don't really break through until the bullpen. And uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's I get I get the uh, what what Tori is saying there, but like it's really I don't know if necessarily that's a good thing when like they need to be scoring a little earlier in in games, don't you think? Yeah, that definitely could be a concern when you face a more rested bullpen. I think the D-backs definitely got a break when the Reds' bullpen was taxed through the double header, header as a result of the hurricane. Of course, uh, same thing happened to the D-backs in the previous week. And they're still kind of bouncing back from that. But uh, they were able to, but at the end of the day, they were able to get to the Reds' top relievers. They got to Alexis Diaz on Saturday. They got to Ian Jabot. On Sunday, they got to Lucas Sims on Sunday. I mean, oh. yeah, that's like I mean, they're they're scoring runs, and it's like definitely like it doesn't matter who you score them against. Uh, I mean, they did a good enough job. I mean, other than like I, you know, said like the Bach was really the one, uh, really game losing moment of the entire series, and yeah, you know, obviously that cost them the game. But like they just avoid mistakes like that. I mean, that's where like a lot of the, the losses have come. Uh, during that that down stretch before we you know won nine of eleven games, um, 
like they were just like losses over really just just kind of amateur baseball like you know i know the bach rule is like i could not define uh like i know like you're not supposed to use deceptive motions towards the base runner or like when there's a runner on base things like that i mean the rule is just so poorly defined and enforced like it's not something you can really like necessarily avoid because it really just depends on some umpires who will not call that like point blank there is an umpire i forgot who exactly was but he's like i don't call box because I, I don't know how I don't I don't understand the rule, which I appreciate the honesty, but it's uh, one of those things that's always very very frustrating. I actually own an AZ snake hitch short from over ten years ago that says "Never mind the box." So uh, maybe I should have worn that shirt today. We'll note that uh, it was a legit buck. It was uh, game set and they broke and then stopped stopped and they actually and Tori said they actually had done it twice in the inning and it, it's kind of a raw deal for Nabil Krismat he pitched a great game just the Bach came at the wrong time two yeah. strikes two outs in the top of the 11th inning he and he does make the pitch for the big out after the Bach if you race that Bach D-backs get a score it's like your scores in the 11th inning now and then obviously the bottom of the half of the inning would have played out Probably yeah. the same per setting, but I think it would have been, or at least the first batter would have played out the same. They would have bunted, which to me in a tie game, a bunt is different than yeah. let your best hitter of the inning not getting a swing at it. But well, I don't know, especially especially extra innings. That's really the thing. Like that, that really one of the reasons why I hate the uh, the automatic runner or whatever the official name for the Manfred man is, but. Like that wouldn't have happened ten years ago. Game wouldn't end that way. That run wouldn't have scored. There wouldn't be a runner on base for him to block. I was to say, if it was ten years ago, the D backs would have lost in the tenth inning. Yes, exactly. But that's the real the real uh the thing I lament the most about some of these rule changes. Like that's the one that I would take away right now. Like I would still not a fan of the 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 automatic runner in extra innings. It's, I've never really seen it play to the Diamondbacks' favor uh, so far in extra inning games. Um, I mean, normally yeah, what you like you do is you bunt the runner over, uh, sack flag games over. But that's this is one of those things that I, I just can't I can't abide. Kind of ruined the whole series for me, and I blame Manfred for it. But uh, you, but if you um, so looking at the. So going from the series, Dimex have won five series in a row. They've won 12 of their last 15 games and have gotten back to 500 for the month of August, despite a nine game starting the month. Oh, and nine, nine game losing streak. How impressive was it that they were able to bounce back so quickly? Um, I, I'm, I'm obviously like, I'm impressed. Like I, I mean, I did, I'd always put it out there like during the losing stretch, like, Hey, you know, they, they can turn it around any time. And they did the fact that they actually did like, that's really impressive to me. Like they've done everything that they need to, to, turn it around um i mean people were talking about like the season was over a month ago and we had a podcast episode of uh yeah the d-back season end in minnesota and that was episode six and that was three weeks ago that yeah. we aired it in fact it was three weeks ago today that we talked about it how how quickly things change i mean that's uh that should say it all right there. I mean, we were going from this is a dime back season. There's a, 
there's a rule about that. If a, a headline has a question mark, the answer is usually no. Uh, I think it applies there. Um, I just, it's one of those things, it's such a long season, you have to be patient. Like things can turn around very quickly and just in terms of baseball. I mean, yeah, okay, three week turnarounds lengthy, but um, it's pretty much, I'm, I am, I'm impressed. What about you? Yeah, I would say so. I've, this team has shown their resiliency time and time again, and perhaps their biggest showcase of it has been the last two weeks of games. So here's Tori talking about the type of culture that they've built this year. Look at it is, um, we, we, we have a culture here. It's built on resiliency, adaptability, and then just, you know, focus, effort, and preparation. And, um, we were 0-9 to start this month, right? I mean, how does that happen? Uh-huh. All of a sudden, we're 500. I think we're 12-12, yeah, right? I'm extremely proud of this group. I'm extremely proud of, of the belief that they had in one another. They stayed connected. That clubhouse is extremely connected. And when they when they remain that way, they can do pretty powerful things. And I think you're watching this happen right before your very eyes because of what they're doing together. Um, and we've had to fight. It hasn't been easy. And we could have rolled over and, and gone away, but we're not. We're going to be here for the rest of the year. And then he meant someone asked what uh, what he's been seeing over the last five series, and this is what Tori said in the next question. Well, yeah. Two things I think, number one, the players go out and perform at a high level and they execute and they get the job done. But when you add in the little things and you add in those, um, you know, the, the sprinkling of moments where you win those margins, I think it becomes very contagious to the day and you just, you practice that habit of, of being in the right place, doing the right thing at the right time and expecting to execute. Um, I, I love the little things and when it doesn't go right, it really frustrates me and I think they respond to that. Uh, and I think when they, they, we might lose a game, but we, we could have 10 little wins. I think they focus on the right thing. They know where to improve. They turn the page the next day and we come out ready to go. So, um, the little things add up to big things for me all the time. I think that's, that's one of our personalities in that. So what would you say about that? Well, you know, I, I actually really, I, I, I really feel Tory there. I mean, you know, both of us have watched a lot of these guys, like, in some cases before they were drafted in this organization. And, uh, you know, they, these, these players have grown, they've basically grown up together on this team. And, uh, I'm sure it's very, I mean, it's like, that's the difference between uh, the B-backs and the Padres. Padres, they were in the exact same position the Diamondbacks were. And what happened? They're out of the race. They're done. They're basically done for the year. Uh, I would imagine they'll be eliminated very soon. If Diamondbacks are eliminated, eliminated from the postseason, it's going to be the last week at this point, I would really think. And I don't think that they will. Um, but yeah, the little doing seeing do the little things right and like, you know, putting the preparation. That's like how you, that's how you, uh, you stand out from the, from the rest of the teams. And like, you know, you like a winning culture starts with that. It's like preparation, uh, focus, all the, all the, the cliches Tori just threw out there. I mean, those are important. And there's a reason why they are cliches is because they do matter. So now we'll uh, talk about a, a difficult slate of series. Obviously D backs take a five series winning streak into Los Angeles. They will play the Dodgers for three then an off day on Thursday, followed by a three game series at chase field against the AL leading Baltimore Orioles. So tough week ahead. So Dwight, how many wins would you expect 
for over their next six games? Um, I mean, I would I would hope that they take at least like two or three out of those six. Like I, I would I would hope that they avoid a, like being swept by either team. Um, that's worst case scenario, obviously. My like my 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 gut tells me like uh like split like free free i mean really ideally you want to see them take you know two of three from the dodgers and then two of three from the orioles at the very least um i think the diamondbacks can beat both teams the dodgers do have i mean yes they're insanely well put together team one of the things that makes them stand apart from you know you know the diamondbacks is just the amount of depth that the organization has i mean they they have dealt with so many injuries. I mean, people forget, like, we had a huge lead on them in terms of the, the division. And the Dodgers have made it all up. Um, you have uh, Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts uh, basically competing for um, uh, MVP. I mean, which is nuts to have two players that are, like, both above six war, which is, like, just insanely good. Um that's going to be the real challenge. I would not be surprised if we got swept by the Dodgers. I would not be surprised if we were swept by the Orioles. I know the Orioles uh, are coming off of a. Did they just? Didn't they lose their last series? I'm not sure. Uh, I would have to check, but uh, the Orioles obviously right beyond losing, winning or losing series, obviously suffered a pretty substantial blow over the weekend with Felix Bautista out indefinitely with. A UCL injury. No update yet. Sounds like Tommy John to me. Yeah, so Baltimore has won seven of their last ten. So okay. they're not cooling off anytime soon. That's what you're wondering. Yeah, the Dodgers also haven't cooled off at all. We've gained, I don't think we've gained any ground on them in the one division. Game. One game. We, we've taken nine of the last, last 11. ten. Yes, and they... I've taken one game, which tell you how good the Dodgers team is. Yeah, no, the uh, the Orioles lost to Colorado yesterday. So, um, think and then before the that, last, the yeah, no, they they took the prior two, and then prior to that, they took two or three from the Blue Jays. So they didn't lose before that until the twenty second. So they're really they're putting some nice. The last time they won, they lost two games in a row was the 15th and 16th against the Padres. So if the Padres can beat the Orioles, we can too. Especially since uh, the or- Orioles played San Diego on the West Coast, and they'll be on West Coast time when they come to Chase Field. So maybe the- you never know. Their internal alarm clock may be off. And they uh, go ham in batting practice, but uh, don't do anything in the game. Of course, that's just wistful helpful. thinking. But uh, so obviously, with the Do- I think they need to win at least three of the next six games. I agree. Just to hold on to that wild card spot, because once you get past Baltimore, the schedule lightens up a little bit. The only team you really have to worry about, in my opinion, the team you have to worry about the most on the remaining schedule is Chicago with seven games left, and you're half a game behind them. Yeah, that's for the, the second wild card spot. Although, depending on matchups, I actually like the D-backs matching up against Milwaukee better than Philadelphia in this series. I think Milwaukee has lost all of their series since... D-backs uh, has won seven or last ten against the Brewers. 
Yeah, I I would favor the matchup over the the Brewers. I'm not too worried about those. The Cubs, uh, you always got to worry about like Cubs. Just I mean, if it's, if it's a home game against the Cubs, you're gonna have uh, fans showing up at Chase Field. Like, notoriously, you know, Cubs fans are known for that. So they do have the support even at a an away game, and, and from the, the Cubs perspective. So yeah, I I worry about, and yeah, they're ahead of us. If we can take the series against the Cubs and like at least stay in the mix over the next week that'd be really like then then they're in a good position because there are a lot weaker teams after this basically these are this is the toughest stretch of games uh basically till the end of the year just the next two series and obviously september is not gonna be easy they're gonna be playing 17 games in 17 days there's no there's no rest day until after until september 18th that's the real difficulty then they get two rest days around a two-game series with san francisco which to me is the if they're holding a playoff spot that on September 20th. It's like start wa- start yeah. making plans to watch playoff games. You, you, would, you would hope they take both. They need to. Those are two must win games. Uh, I think that's like really I think that actually might be the, the final two games. I think they really have to take those to stay, not lose any ground. Uh, they can, I think I, I, how far ahead are the Giants? Giants are a, a game and a half back of the D-backs right now. Oh, okay. Well, they've got some they got some pretty big problems. Okay, I came in half back. And could be out of it by, and there's a legitimate chance they could be out of it by then, depending on how the D backs do. The D backs start September off hot. It could be a wrap for that that wild card spot. But then you'd obviously say if the D backs are hot in September, then that means Chicago's taking some L's. Oh yeah, I, I mean that's because the one team really that that I mean might as well not even worry about the. the Phillies. I mean, they, they have the, the top out. If you catch spot. up to Philadelphia, they're, they're up three. If you pass games. Philadelphia, you're going to feel good about this team. Uh, oh yeah, if they can do that, if they take the top wild card spot. I'm going to be probably placing some bets for this postseason just to uh, take advantage of hopefully a winning team. So they're, I mean, we went from being a game under two games under 500, uh, two games under 500, and now we're seven games up now. So. Uh, you got you got to feel a lot better about this the team uh, after the last two weeks. And we'll see how long they can sustain. The longer they sustain, as I said, but when they were losing, the faster they got off of it, the better they'll be. Okay, so now yeah. we do the flip side. The longer they stay on this winning streak, this streak of success, the better their season's going to go. On the flip side, that's what I think. Now- has the matchup for tonight's game been announced? Uh, for tonight's game, I believe Zach Gowan's pitching for the D-backs. Yeah. Uh, I've had conflicting information. I've seen Bobby, Bobby Miller. Miller. I've also seen Clayton Kershaw. It says Bobby Miller. Yeah, that's who's who's projected right now. Yeah, I, so I mean that that's a matchup. I would. I mean, Bobby Miller is not a bad pitcher. We talked about him before. He's a good pitcher. He's definitely someone that you uh, you don't underestimate. And then tomorrow, obviously, Clayton Merrill Kershaw Kelly. will be going tomorrow. The D-backs will be sending Merrill Kelly. That's you got to get that one to the Dodgers. I mean, yeah, Kershaw is getting up there in years, but he's still a great pitcher, and you cannot count like you know, uh, you you can't count him out. I mean, he's got an ERA under like two nights, and the fact that Diamondbacks really have never touched Kershaw yeah. in Dodger Stadium. That's the real, the real big one. 
Yeah, they're in, they're in LA. This is actually one of those things where, like, I wouldn't like I said, I would not be surprised if they get swept. I don't want to see think, it. I don't think it'll happen, think, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it was like the last series; they got completely crushed, crushed, but they managed to sneak out, walk out with two wins and out of four. Yeah. So, you hope that yeah, maybe, that plays out potentially. If they win the series, they've won the season series against the Dodgers, which is like that's a real accomplishment. Just uh, yeah, series wins the against the Dodgers and the Padres. Yeah, sweep the Giants yeah, to get them too. You beat the entire division. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, it seems like, I mean, yeah, the Dodgers just been beating up on the the rest of the NL uh, and the rest of the league because it that's what it really seems like. Because we did well against them earlier in the year. Yeah, we also caught them at a good time, but we'll see. Like I said, the D-backs win this series. I think everyone's going to take notice of them. There's so, no announced starter for Wednesday. But either team? Going. Yeah, for, should no, be going. Fox, yeah, Fox going on Wednesday. So yeah. I would say best chances would be tonight. And on you got to win tonight's game. Uh, you got to win tonight. Um, yeah, it's a must win in my opinion. No, no. The Dodgers bullpen's a little leaky. And speaking of bull, I mean, the bullpen is the real uh, that transition to that. I mean, really, you need Gallon to go deep in the game. This bullpen has been really taxed over the last uh, nine games. Yeah, Seawald's uh, been, they've been burning Seawald yeah. and Ginkle as soon as they're available. Yeah, and that's, I mean, Ginkle has been fantastic, but his arm's not going to hold up being, you know, thrown into the fire every day. Seawald, uh, I mean, you really need to see this, this both the both, you know, like all three games, we need to see the starters go deep into the game to, to give the both a rest. If Gallon can give us, you know, seven, eight innings, that would be fantastic. I'm going to count on that these days, but um, is the bullpen a concern for you now with how tactical? I, th- I think the offense, I think, needs to get in gear before the seventh inning. Yeah. Personally, that's a, that's a real key. Because that's a real key there. Like, I mean, they try. They kind of did that. They tried to do that in the uh, second game against the Reds, and then they had a four nothing lead against the Reds. But they should have probably scored a couple more. Yeah, I think it's a. I think for them to the score, they need to avoid getting thrown. They need to avoid base running mistakes, in my opinion. Now, the Corbin Carroll inside the park home run miss wasn't a base running mistake. No, that was a like having a sniper rifle to just you know nail him. I don't. I don't know how many other outfielders would have been able to throw him out, other than uh, like anyone. who else would have thrown. I don't really. Yeah, I don't know anyone who's thrown him out. Uh, maybe Mookie Betts. That's about it. And he's been playing shortstop, so I don't uh, think any. I don't think okay, Mookie, Mookie Betts has the Mookie, same. He's got same a cannon arm, for an arm, and not yeah, me, not, not as. Uh, I think Mookie's probably got a more accurate arm than Ellie De La Cruz. I think. Uh, you want to say that throw isn't accurate no it's very accurate i'm not i'm not gonna lie i'm just in terms of pure velocity the only guy that comes top of my head is like uh uh o'neill cruz has a cannon o'neill cruz and mason winter the two guys that come to mind for me and of course there's uh, not many guys who made that it's not a base running here uh you know i don't know and cruz is basically uh the same build as de la cruz but uh mason wins actually a smaller guy yeah, he's got a surprisingly good arm. You'll have to discuss some of these. I, I barely known who I, I barely heard the name, but now Mason Mason Wynn's name is popping up like left and right in front of me. So 
Uh, yeah, I believe yeah, he's, he's playing shortstop for the Cardinals right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's really, well, like, you know, well, I, I don't know if there's really any other things that, I mean, less base running errors, getting getting things started offensively much earlier would be uh, really yeah, helpful for the bullpen and there's less pressure on the starter. Um, and just see, making, you know, the, so the starters can continue going deep in the games like they have over the last week. That's another uh, real key to, you know, not just winning, but taking a little bit of the pressure off the bullpen. All right, so we got, I think this series is going to showcase two guys that should be finalists for manager of the year, Dave Roberts and Toy Lovello. What do you think of Toy Lovello's chances of winning manager of the year if the Diamondbacks were to get into the postseason? At a minimum, he'd be a finalist, but do you think could he win the whole award? I'd say there's pretty good chances. I mean, he we went from, uh, was our, rec- our record last year, like it'd be one of the biggest increases in, in wins and, I mean, we, we lost, like, what, 110 games not that many years ago. So, I mean, he's taken this team from being a losing team to be a winning team. I think a big part of it. Uh, I think Lavello, the manager can only do so much with the team. I think he's done enough that you – I wouldn't, I don't know if I would give it to him. I have really looked at the other, you know – Dave Roberts is an actual, excellent manager. Uh, he's really – done well with this Dodgers team he's proven that he can manage you know veteran teams he can manage rookie teams he's transitioned from a you know a uh, that the core that they had uh from 2018 until 2021 I mean they, he's transitioned from two cores I mean I think Dave Roberts is just as much case you know for manager of the year but uh Lavello, I mean, there's a there's a huge difference in like this team this year. I mean, is it is it all is it all Lavello? No, but is a good chunk of it. Can you contribute to Lavello? I I'd say so. So yeah, I think he's got a good chance at it. Yeah, I was gonna say it's gonna come down. I think it is gonna come down to Roberts and Lavello for the rookie uh, manager of the year, not rookie of the year. That that one would be. We'll talk about that. Yeah, but uh, I think Dave Roberts is a leading candidate because the Dodgers have experienced so many injuries. They lost their starting shortstop. Three of their starting five pitchers have needed Tommy have had are needing Tommy John surgery. A fourth one has elbow issues. Actually, let's see. Actually two Tommy John surgeries. Third one is coming back. So the Gonsolin's going to get Tommy John Walker Bueller's coming back from Tommy John. Who knows how many games he'll get into in the regular season. He can't, he won't start if even if he comes back this year. Kershaw was out for a while. Arias missed time. Dustin May is done for the season. I mean, basically, that's your starting five. That was the starting yeah, five you yeah. wanted to go into. That's your five best pitchers right there. I mean, if you, just adding the, from what you, if you add that to what I said, uh, yeah, it was a very good argument made for Dave Roberts because, I mean, it's not only like transition between basically two different cores of players and handling all these rookies, but he's also had all his injuries and the team is still like, is running away with the division like i don't it would take they're gonna win 100 like, games they, yeah they, they're gonna win 100 games they they could they could win more than that i don't know i don't know what they're how much they're gonna finish with there's they're at 8 and 49 coming in the play and there's so they would only have to win 20 they would have to go 20 and 13 well if, which, they, if they go 32 and one they, 
they can uh, get the uh, you know all-time season win record, which is like that. That's wow. Think about that, people. The Dodgers would have to basically win every game for the rest of the season, and they would they they, they still they just barely get it. That's thirty games. They have to win over Let's thirty games in the rest of the season. Let's hope they don't do that. Ideally, they, they go thirty and three with all three losses coming this week. Yes, Next three days. I'd be I'd be okay <laughs> with that. I'd be okay. I would trade a sweep of the Dodgers uh, this series for the Dodgers being allowed to tie the games. NL hundred get me out. I'll, I'll, I'm okay with that. Yeah, uh, it's. The, I mean, really, yeah, you got to give Dave Roberts. I mean, I, I it's. It's, I felt like, you know, one of my first memories of the Dodgers was Dave Roberts playing for the Dodgers in his, uh, I think it was like, I think he came up with the Dodgers originally when he was traded to Boston, something like that. But it's, it's amazing, like, how much of an association the man has with the organization now. Like, really has done wonders for it. And uh, I don't know if you can make a stronger argument for Tory. Yeah, I was going to say, when you look at Tory, there's obviously the, you look at the clubhouse culture. And I think they have a really strong clubhouse culture in there right now. And the record obviously speaks for itself. The narrative that it is very hard to go from 110 losses to making the postseason in two years. In fact, that's something that Jack wrote about in June on inside Diamondbacks and Baltimore's the Baltimore Orioles are going to be one of those teams. They're going to do it. Yeah. They're going to do it. I mean, the Orioles, that's a really like that. I think that's like probably just, I mean, the Diamondbacks and the Orioles both make postseason. I think it's like probably the biggest stories of uh, baseball this year is that. And, you know, I, I'm not, who's the manager of the Orioles? He, he Brandon Hyde, who can yeah, pretty much that, start writing his who, manager of the year speech right that's now. That's who you're talking about. Michael had mentioned talking about manager of the year before we got started. And he's Brandon Hyde. And I'm like, who? And uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I don't pay that much attention at times, but yeah, no, he absolutely, you could pencil him at this point. That, that Orioles team is just, nah, nah, just start, night, just, just give him the award right now. Yeah. It's night like, and day. It's not a race in the American league. Not at all. Um, I mean, right now I'd say that's my favorite right now would actually be him uh, in the AL. You could go either way. Actually, I really think with, you know, either Tory or, uh, or Ross either way would, would be, or Dave Roberts, rather. Um, either, either one of them would be uh, like deserving of the uh, award. I can't think of a better, like an alternative to the two of them. I mean, obviously, Snicker might get some votes, but uh, Snicker, obviously, the expectations were the Braves were going to be the, one of the best teams in baseball. So and they are. We're going to disqualify his bid for that. They're that not necessarily yeah, exceeding expectations like the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks have done this season. Yeah, I mean, everyone, I mean, the Dodgers are interesting because I think most people expected them to be good. Uh, I mean, not like as this good. I think I think most people expected them to have some some challenges, and they have, and they've overcome it. So, uh, really, I think if we there should be a the worst manager of the year, and it's San Diego's. Uh, well, if you're saying, manager. well, I mean, in that case, it's like. You know what the you know what the prize is for winning worst manager of the uh, league is? Oh, it's getting fired. I was gonna say a pink slip, but yeah, yeah, it's getting fired. 
So that um, award goes to Phil Nevin of the Angels and obviously Bob Melvin of the Padres. I think you can pencil in Corbin Carroll for NL Rookie of the Year now because uh, uh, Matt McLean is now on the injured list. I, he will. I mean, just their their rate stats were very similar. Uh, counting stats, Carroll was already, you know, had a pretty sizable lead on him. Now he's first uh, one of like the fourth uh, fourth rookie with a twenty homer, forty stolen base season. The only one in the end, and only one of one in the National League. So you've already got that and narrative. And uh, the last Diamondback to do that was Eric Burns, who's obviously not a rookie, but uh, I mean, this is probably one of the best power speed seasons that I've seen. You know, so, I mean, Carroll's not just—I mean, I mean, he's not really in the MVP, you know, no. race at all. But the fact that he's in top ten for position players for uh, in the NL for war like that that's one of the reasons why like, i mean he's pretty much got it matt mclean could have made up the difference if he had stayed healthy the rest of the season and you know he had a hot series of they pretty much shut him down uh you know at least from it's just what yeah i think you you can pretty much pencil in for uh, yeah so mclean has 3.6 baseball reference war we're going to use b war obviously because i like using b i like using baseball reference war and plus Narrative speaking, narrative speaking, uh, what I wrote about the rookie of the year race and about nine of the last 10 players to lead the league in war have in the national league have won rookie of the year. And obviously we're just going to use B war because I didn't actually search fan for that because they really don't need to. So there's not a much and, of a difference at all between the two of them. I mean, so as it, I said, McLean will finish it either way. Since McLean has an oblique injury, he's going to be out. A minimum of four weeks, so that puts him right up at the end of the season for the Reds. And if they're out of it, it might just be they just might shut him down. Yeah, I, I, I it's uh, and he's the only really player. James Outman had the same amount of war. Um, he'd slow down after a very hot start too, but he's kind of turned it around. We're gonna see him in this uh, Dodger series. Um, I don't think, I, yeah, I think he can pretty much. Pencil and Corbin. Well, how do you, how, what do you think he's going to finish the year with in terms of his his counting stats? I mean, Carroll's on pace to basically come up. I think finish second in most uh, WAR in D-backs history. But honestly, if he has a hot September, he's going to pass Webb. Yeah, I think that's that's yeah. He, he might. Carroll's on one of those streaks again. I think I uh, the counting stat wise. I mean, uh, he. I don't know what the rookie record for home runs was. I mean, I think Ruby Durazo had a. Uh, Chris Young has 32. 2007. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Um, but, like, I mean, really, like, it's like one of the most impressive seasons that we've seen from uh, a Diamondback working. Um, I, I was just, I was saying, like, I think he'll, I think he could go make it to 30 home runs and he could make it to 50 stolen bases. So a 30, 50 season, which uh, is yeah. 30 home runs impressive. is going to be tougher. That's the tough one. I know he can, he can sneak out 10 more stolen bases. I think he could do that. Uh, he's got 22 home runs. Yeah. 22 homers. I think okay. Carol will have enough opportunities to steal 50 bags. I don't think he'll hit more than 25 home. I think he's going to peak around 25, 26 home runs on the season. 
Which is fine. Carol batting leadoff, you want him on base. If he hits a home run, so be it. I'm just uh, wondering what he would project. I mean, Carol's OPS plus is... is, I mean, we said before, Carol just needed to have the same rate stats in terms of OPS plus, but now obviously he's higher. Carol's now at an 884 OPS and a 140 OPS plus. And that's a pretty significant, those are pretty significant because I don't, there aren't very many seasons of 140 OPS plus in D-backs history. I mean, obviously Gonzo, Goldie, done it consistently. Look at the guys that have done it consistently. I'm not sure if Pollock had a season like that in 15. I think Jay up uh, had a year. I think it was 07. No, it would have been 11. Oh, oh yeah. You know a what? 140 you OPS plus. That's what stat heads is for. But uh, that's not important. But uh, 22 home runs. He's got how many games left? Like D-backs have thirty ga- D-backs have thirty-one games left. He hits home runs in four point three percent of his at bats. So he's um, got maybe a hundred and twenty at bats, le- hundred twenty play appearances left. So four percent yeah. of that is four home runs. So he'll make it to twenty. He'll probably do make f- it twenty-five, fifty. Then I think he could yeah. he could pull that out. That's the more realistic. He'd be the first guy to do it. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Acuna Jr. is uh, kind of does beat him to, to do this. But the first time back to do that, that combo speed power, I'm really like, I you can hand the award to him. I think it's, it's not, no one else is going to catch him. Uh, Kode Senga is the only guy that really could make up the difference in a war. In the I was going to say, Senga's now is. It's not going to happen. They'll probably shut him down pretty soon. I was going to say Senga is now a candidate to get second place. I think with, and this is something we talked about before the show, but with McLean basically shelved for a good chunk of the season, do you think Carroll is going to unanimously win the award now? It's not a question of if he'll win, but now a question of unanimous. Oh, it's so, you know how baseball writers are, you know, there's going to be one guy who's like, Oh, I'm going to give him to this for this silly reason that, you know, Gives me plausible deniability when the main reason they're doing it is their hometown team. Um, it's, it's unlikely. I think that it's actually. I think it's more likely a writer from Southern California does it than a writer from Cincinnati. Yeah, that's yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I could see an LA writer giving it to Altman, or you know, I could see it. A. I'm talking about giving McLean like a, a first place vote. Oh yeah, no, I, I could, I could. See the whole, the same it's thing. never. It's it's rarely ever the. Hometown writer that ever does that. Hmm. Yeah, I really don't know. I, I, I don't think he's going to get it unanimously. There's a chance of it. It's certainly more of a chance now that there's like, I mean, he's going to finish with probably. Look at my stats. I mean, McLean's no long. McLean might not finish second, which actually would work in the Reds' favor because then they wouldn't lose the service time. Yeah. Um, and I mean, Senga obviously finishing for a five war se- a five D war season, which is like that's going to be a good win and a half above second place. So yeah, I think he might get it unanimously. I mean, the only reason why there's even talk about this uh, is the Diamondbacks get compensation. They get a compensation pick. Yeah, 
So D-backs will get a first round, will get a first round pick if Corbin Carroll wins the award. And of course, uh, Carroll is in great position to win the award. It would, t- at this point, since his main competition is injured, it would, uh, but Carroll gets 140 games. Like I said, the, the rookie of the year race is officially a wrap and unanimous yeah. first place votes. And he's yeah, at 126. He gets, yeah, he's going to get there. I mean, if he's, he's healthy all the probably, way, he's going to play 150 games. Yeah, I would think so. I think he's going to play more than 140 games. And uh, I, my God, he's got eight triples this year. That's uh, that surprises you. That's a league leading. That surprises you? No, I mean, it's not that I'm surprised that he has that many triples. I didn't realize that he led the league in triples. All major leagues. He, uh, no, 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 he leads uh, the NL in triples. I'm not sure who would be ahead of him in uh, the AL. But that's, yeah, not that's just, it's not Nobody important. It's not a surprise. Threatening Carol I mean, that's the thing. Like, going forward, do you think this is like the floor for Corbin Carroll season? You mean a season like this? Yeah, I think it's the floor. But yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked about this before. With uh, how much we think that like uh, you know, an average Corbin Carroll season would be. I mean, we're saying four or five WAR, and he's looking like a player who could, you know, put up an eight WAR season. And I mean, Corbin he, Carroll. He here. Corbin Carroll. We Corbin Carroll has enough talent that. When his current contract expires, there will be a discussion about if he's the best position player in the team's history. Obviously, I don't think there'll ever be a player as good as RJ, but. Yeah, that's going to be a very, very hard. Uh, those are but that's not shoes. fair. Those are tough, tough shoes to fill as a pitcher that, you know, be like, oh, can I outdo Randy? I mean, just like in, in Boston, I mean, Boston with Pedro or, I mean, hell, he's still probably better than most. Uh, of the other teams he played for too. Um, yeah, no, Carroll is 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 gonna have some real like there's gonna be a discussion about extending him if this a contract second time. goes well. A second time, which is like unheard of. Well, I'll just he say this. Made, We're five plus years away. Free agency. I hope he never does it. I hope he's he plays the first uh, for the Diamondbacks for uh his whole entire career. We haven't really seen that with any player. Um and no other, other player wears the number seven. Yes, that's kind of what I want to see. Um, he got to a great start. If you look at his, you know, the first year of, uh, like, he's he's basically at, uh, he's at 158. He's for five and a half. So this would be a full season right now. Uh, 20, so this in 158 games, he's got 26 home runs. He's got 42 stolen bases. He's got... 10 triples like that's a hell of a fucking season right there on its own with the 139 so it's not quite as good altogether but it's still like almost 140 OPS plus so that's uh, I would call this a successful season for Corbin and hopefully with that draft pick we'll get the next Corbin Carroll yeah maybe some 5 foot 10 guy who has great tools falls because people are I'm still amazed um, have a thing with guys under six feet tall, although I think after Corbin Carroll's emergence, that's never happening again. I, I, that, not even just, I mean, how many short guys have been passed up in the draft 
uh, who've turned out to be like you know much better than, and that's one of the biggest knocks on. I mean, obviously, Mookie Betts is the big name. That's another. He was a fifth Uh, round pick, not a first like Carroll. But of course, the same geniuses that drafted Mookie Betts were the same geniuses that drafted Corbin Carroll. They're the same geniuses that are running the D-backs right now, I should say. Uh, Sade was running the draft. Hazen was basically the... I don't remember if Hazen was the farm director at the time, but pretty much. Was a top player development executive, so there you go. Yeah, he was... Uh, I forget about that. So, I mean, that's actually that tells you something right there about uh, Hazen's strategy. Is and they he also... Does look, he, he does look for the players where there's, you know, market inefficiencies because Moneyball's not, Moneyball was never about on base percentage or any of that stuff. It's about just finding market inefficiencies. And it's still, there's still a prejudice against shorter players, badder players, people who don't have a traditional body type uh, for a baseball player. D-backs like short athletic players with uh, more pop. Obviously, McLean fits that mold too. The Reds love pitchers with dad bods that throw 100. It's you know, a strategy that works for both guy, teams. A guy that didn't fall in the draft, but is also short and has a good career is Altuve only signed for a $15,000. They bucks. told him to go home. They basically did. Uh, the, the Astros were the only one who even like even gave him the time of day. And that's the thing like you, I, we want to see this team do more like that. I mean, get the Corbin Carrolls, get the Jose Altuve's, get, because- get the lesser the lesser known guys, because guess what? Like that's a talent that, you know, team will regret not signing. If, if he's just like, Oh, he's short, but if he does everything well and hits well and runs the bases and is great defensively, like why are you being prejudiced against that baseball executives? Well, it everyone has matter. their types. Yeah, that's true. All right. So thanks everyone for watching again. If you're catching this on YouTube, make sure to click that subscribe button. Leave a like and comment down below and tell us how you feel about the Dimebacks postseason chances. So we'll be back on Thursday to talk about the aftermath of the Dodgers series. Hopefully the D-backs get their sixth consecutive series win. And I'm previewing what will be a very interesting, very entertaining month of September. Once again, hopefully, I'm Mike McDermott. Hopefully, hopefully entertaining. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. And don't forget to hit that notification bell so you get the latest updates from our channel. You can follow me on at X or formerly known as Twitter at Michael McD MLB. You can follow Wes at Buyer Wesley. And we are the Snakes on the Diamond podcast. You can check us out on Apple, Google, or even Spotify, or you can watch the uh, video form of it on YouTube.